Grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. We are going to study God's Word today. We're in part three of a series. We're kind of calling them a character study in the book of Nehemiah. Looking at this guy, Nehemiah, in the Old Testament. And honestly, I'm praying, and I've been praying most of the week, that today would be encouraging to you. Uh, that's my hope. But honestly, we're going to start here at the back. We're going to get into some things that are kind of difficult. Uh, we're going to look at some difficulties that not only Nehemiah faced, uh, but how he had to rise above them, how he had to deal in the midst of them. Uh, and so I'm praying it's encouraging, but I'm, I'm hoping that we can draw some encouragement out of that. Because here's what I hope you'll understand, and that is anytime God leads you, Anytime he prompts you, anytime you step out to do something meaningful, to make a difference in someone else's life, anytime you try to do something for the kingdom of God, expect opposition. Anytime you think, I'm going to step out in faith and God is leading me to do, you can count on obstacles. Anytime you try to further the kingdom of God, you can expect spiritual resistance to come against that thing. Not because we are so important, all right? That's not what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Jesus never said, follow me, and you will somehow become so important that the devil will now try to unleash everything to try to stop you. No, Jesus said that the servant is not greater than his master. Remember, the world hated me. So if they hate you, they hated me first. And so anytime you try to do something for the kingdom of God, understand there is opposition to that. You try to step into that flow. So when we give ourselves to the kingdom of God, we expect opposition. When you call yourself a follower of Christ, when you follow after him, and you can see it all throughout the Bible, opposition to people trying to follow God. You got Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Everything is perfect, trying to do the will of God, trying to follow him. And the evil serpent comes and distracts them and deceives you got Moses, right? He's got Pharaoh, the enemy, right, in the Old Testament. you got David. He's got Goliath. You move to the New Testament, you have Jesus. He's got Herod, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, Judas, the devil, the demons, all the haters. Come on, somebody. He's got enough people. you got Batman. He has the Joker. Come on. You're awake this morning, right? I'm just trying to hang with me here. Anytime you try to step out. Anytime you say, okay, I'm now aligned with God's work in this world. I want to be a part of the kingdom. I want to do something for him. I want to do, and Nehemiah, his nemesis, he's, his, and honestly, nemesis, because he has a couple, more than one. His idea of what these haters and critics look like are a guy named Sanballat and Tobiah. These are the people that tried to oppose his work. And maybe you're just joining us and you haven't been the last couple of weeks. So I'll just kind of catch you up on the story. Nehemiah is this guy living in the kingdom of Persia. He's the cupbearer to the king. And he hears about a plight of his people. He hears about what's going on in his homeland, almost a thousand miles away from where he is. And we talked about this week one, that there is no place on earth further for us than a thousand miles would have been for Nehemiah at this time in this, this time in history. But he hears about the plight of his people. He hears about the gates are burned with fire and the walls are torn down and it breaks his heart. And so Nehemiah, this guy who's the cupbearer, this guy who's living in comfort, this guy who's a thousand miles away, decides something has to be done about this. Somebody needs to do something and it might as well be me. He says, somebody's got to help them. And so it might as well be my city's been burned by the Babylonians. My city has lined in ruins for over a hundred years. Somebody's got to do something and it might as well. So he asks God for favor. He goes in prayer and then he goes before the king and he asks for protection and revision. He says, Lord King, he says, can you, can you possibly allow me to go and to rebuild the city of my ancestors? Can I go and rebuild? It's a fascinating story, both of his journey, both spiritually and in the practical, how this journey that he takes to help his people. 
It's this guy who believes God could use him to do something that needed to be done. And you can read the details in Nehemiah of how this thing starts. So chapter 3 is all the details of how he begins. And you can read those things of Nehemiah because he begins to rebuild the gates before he rebuilds the wall. And the Bible goes on and it says that he begins to rebuild the sheep gate and the fish gate and the valley gate and the horse gate and the water gate and the dung gate. And I'm not making these up. Come on, somebody. These are the water gate and the dung. These are in your Bible. You should read it sometime. It's a thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I would not want to live next to the sheep gate, the horse gate, the dung gate, right? I'm by the valley gate all day long, and that's just me. But he's, what's crazy, though, is as you read this Bible, the people that he is leading to do the work. You read about this, because it mentions a lot of specific people. It mentions a lot of occupations that helped him do the work. So this is not just carpenters and masonry. This is not like the things you would normally think are building city gates. No, it says at one place he has the goldsmiths. And then another place, the merchants are working to build the wall. And then another place, the perfume makers. Now, I don't know how you get the perfume makers to build a city gate. It's beyond me, everybody. But that's what Nehemiah had. And it's incredible to me that he is leading these people and that they start to make progress. That's the part. Like, I can understand he can inspire some perfume makers and they can go out there and think this is going to happen. But they actually start making progress in building the wall. And so Nehemiah has these people, he's inspiring them, he's leading them, and they're thinking in their minds, you can tell from this chapter 3, you're thinking, they're starting to believe, maybe we can do this. But what do we know? What do we understand, right, as a thing? Because this is like, this is the idea if you're watching a movie and everything is going really, really well, but there's like an hour and a half of runtime left, like what do you know? If it's not the Hallmark Channel, something bad is about to happen, right, everybody? Like, I got an hour left. Something bad is it can't all be roses this early. And so what we know is they start to do this and they feel like maybe we can accomplish this. Maybe this thing can happen. Maybe it can. The moment you start doing something for God, the moment you step out, you can mark your calendar to know spiritual opposition is going to come. Spiritual opposition. And we see this in chapter four of Nehemiah, starting in verse one. It says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. So he's this Samaritan official who's kind of the governor over this province or this area nearby. And he heard that we were rebuilding. He became angry and greatly incensed because he's had a lot of personal uh, baggage tied up in Jerusalem, staying torn down. And he ridiculed the Jews. Now, time out here. If your name is Sanballat, you don't to be ridiculing anybody. You understand that, right? Like you just... That's just free, everybody. All right, so the next one, he says, And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria... He says this, he says, what are those feeble Jews doing? Now, we lose a little bit of context here with this word, but that word feeble, he's talking about uh, weakness that comes from exhaustion. He's talking about this idea that they've already, they, they have no strength there. Everything's already torn down. They're already so weak. What do they think they could even accomplish, these feeble Jews? Now, this is 2,500-year-old trash talk, everybody. That's what this is, all right? Let's just set the context correctly. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? He's standing there just trash talking Nehemiah and his people calling out because he's angry. He's incensed, but he's going to try to throw every verbal insult he can throw at them. And then it says, and then Tobiah, the Ammonite. So he's like the little henchman, right? He's another dude standing next to Sambalot. He's trying to make Sambalot happy. He's at his side. He says, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. You think about these two guys just shouting off that. And I thought it was interesting. We actually have a picture. If you're trying to picture this story, we have a picture of Sambalot and Tobiah. Everybody, that I thought I would just show you. Throw that picture up there. Here they are, everybody. 
I just want to give you some visuals, all right? If you are listening on the podcast and you can't see it, just know it's a historical representation of Sambalot and, and Tobiah. They, so the, these two guys show up. They show up to tear down what God is trying to do through Nehemiah. Nehemiah is out there trying to inspire the people. He's trying to bring this, this idea of we can do this. This is possible. God is with us. God is for us. And what shows up on the scene? Sambalot and Tobiah trying to tear. What are these feeble people doing? What are they even trying? A fox climbing up could tear down their little tiny walls. They start to trash talk them. And so maybe, honestly, this is something that happens so many times in our lives. And maybe in the last couple of weeks, you felt inspired. You said, okay, I want to step out and do something for God. I want to step out in in, in faith and do it. Maybe you got a little bit of direction or momentum going to make a difference. And all of a sudden, you had opposition. You said, okay, maybe, maybe I will take the first step in week one. Okay, maybe I'm seeing this thing that I want to change in the world. And so I'm asking God and seeking his face and his direction. And so you say, I'm stepping out. And you met opposition. For some of you, it may have been as simple as saying, hey, I want to rededicate myself. I'm going to go back to church for the first time. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to make it a dedication that I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord. And then on the way here, you got in the biggest fight of your life, right? And you cursed all the way to God's house to worship him and just lift his hand. For some of you, maybe said, hey, I want to step out and I'm going to share my faith finally with somebody that I have a personal relationship. I've just been building up to this moment. I'm going to finally do it. And they told you to eat your tract. Come on, somebody. They just and you thought, what is this? I stepped out in faith. What is this opposition coming against me? For some of you decided, hey, I want to do something. I want to I want to step out. I want to start a ministry. I want to begin to minister to a group of people. I want to step out and do this. And maybe you told somebody who's close to you. Hey, this is what I believe God is calling me to do. Maybe you had that inspiration and you told somebody. And the first thing they looked at you and said, what are you, nuts? You can't do it. Do you think you are? You're trying to like virtue signal here? What is it? You're just, you're just trying to make yourself look better. You're just trying. You're not good enough for that. You're not strong enough. I understand what you're, your life is a mess anyway. Why would you ever do it? And you met opposition on your way to do something for God. Listen to me. You can set your calendar when you want to join the kingdom of God. When you want to do something for him, remember, there is always opposition to the things of God. There's always opposition. When somebody you love shoots down your idea. And what I hope you understand, it kind of the idea of the whole day today, don't be surprised when there's opposition. Honestly, it should not surprise us. And I think too often it does. And we begin to think, well, maybe I'm off course or maybe, yeah, they're right. My idea is just a little too wild. Maybe there's there's maybe we think a thousand different maybes that knock us off from doing what God has called us to do. And we let the dream die in the graveyard of what if, what if, what if. And we let the criticism and the opposition get so deep inside of our thoughts and our hearts that we do nothing for the kingdom of God. You take a step of faith and we see the enemy push back. What do we know about the enemy, the devil? He stands in opposition to the kingdom of God. What do we know about the world? It stands in opposition to the teachings of Jesus. We know this. And so it shouldn't surprise us when there is opposition. In fact, expect opposition when you want to do the will of God. You want to have zero opposition. You want the secret. You say, well, I just, I don't want, I want zero resistance to doing these things. You want to, I can have the secret for that too, everybody. God has sent me to bless you this morning. Do nothing for the kingdom of God. You want zero opposition. Do nothing for his kingdom. Don't step out. Don't pray. Don't witness to somebody else. Don't you dare try to minister and be generous to somebody. Don't try to reach anybody. Don't try to do anything for the kingdom if you don't want any opposition in your life. Because the moment you step out, seek the God of heaven. You try to represent his love. 
You try to walk in the way that Jesus taught us to walk. I promise you opposition is coming. Nehemiah steps up and Sambalot and Tobiah come and try to tear him down. They try to tear down what God is trying to do. How do you respond to critics? How do you respond to naysayers, to haters? How do you respond to those who try to tear down what God is trying to do in your life? The answer is most of the time you don't. And I think that's probably the hardest thing I could preach to you this morning. Most of the time you don't. You watch what Nehemiah does and what Nehemiah doesn't do. Because he gives like one sentence to Sambalot and Tobiah. He's like, hey, you guys have no part in this. We're doing what God called us to do. But you watch what he doesn't do. Nehemiah doesn't launch into this like long tirade. He doesn't like write six pages on Facebook so they know exactly how mad and how angry and how clever he is. He doesn't try to retort to every single person. No, what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah stays strong to what God has called him to. He doesn't respond to the critics. Honestly, if I can just give you some advice this morning, responding to the critics is not going to convert them. You think I have the perfect retort? You're like George having the perfect comeback, right? I got I to have the jerk store is called and they're running out of you. You got to have the perfect comeback for everything. Listen to me. That will neither further your calling nor convert your critics. Because we think I've got to be clever enough. I've got to be strong enough. I've got to retort. And no, most of the time you don't. When you retort to somebody, you're not converting them. Honestly, most of the time you're validating them. And too often as Christians, we waste so much time trying to get revenge for the words that have been spoken to us instead of following what God has called us to do. We waste so much time trying to retort and trying to respond and trying to write the right thing. You want to know how you respond? You ignore them and you keep on doing the word of God. What does Nehemiah do? He ignores the haters. He ignores the things. And let me just say, my goal is not to convert my critics. My goal is to do the will of God. My goal is not to somehow make them think how great I am. My goal is to do what God has called me to do. And let me say, it's not easy when you step out and people start criticizing you. It's never easy when haters come out of like the woodwork to try to do all these things. Never but it is harder still, more, ten times more than any of that, when it is somebody close to you. Somebody that you love and somebody that you felt loved you, but somebody that you told then, and they're the ones trying to tear you down. And that will happen for some of you. That you go and say, okay, I feel called by God to do something, to take a step of faith. And someone you love, someone you trust, someone that loves you, someone close to you is going to step in with strong words of discouragement. Who do you think you are? You're not prepared for that. Don't sell yourself short in that. Don't try to do something different. Don't be stupid and throw your life away trying to help that group of people. Don't do that thing. You, when somebody close to you tries to do it, look, it's hard when haters are hating on you. It's hard enough. But when somebody close to you, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to feel called to something. You're going to feel like, okay, this is what God has called me to do. This is the people group that I'm called to reach. This is the ministry that I'm called to start. This is the way I'm called to live my life. You're going to feel called to something. And maybe it's to foster or to adopt. And they're going to look at you and be like, why, why mess up your life like that? Why, why you got a good thing going? Why try to disrupt everything? Or you, you can't even take care of the kids you got. Why would you try to go get some more? Why are you trying to? And they would try to tear down everything that God is trying to do in your life. Or you say, hey, I want to start a small group. Or I want to start ministering to people. And they look at you and be like, you don't even know where the book of Helvetica is in the Bible. You just lost your... <laughs> For those who didn't laugh, that's a font, everybody. It's not a <laughs> Whatever it is, they'll come with critics. You're too old. You're too young. You're too dumb. You're too smart. You're too educated. You're too uneducated. Whatever it is, they'll try to tear down everything about knowing that God has something for your life. And I want to say to most people, I want to be like, you're too negative. Come on, somebody. You're just too, you don't know my God. 
You don't understand what he's called. When you take a step of faith, opposition rises up. It's why it's important. Honestly, this is for any type of leadership, any type of ministry. It's important to not let yourself be moved by flattery or discouragement. That's why it's important when you have set yourself and you say, I'm going to follow what God has for me. You're not moved by flattery that gets your head all puffed up. And you're not moved by discouragement that gets your heart down as low as it can go. You're not moved by either one. Because I'm not going to be moved by flattery that tries to lead me to pride. I'm not going to be moved by discouragement that tries to lead me to depression. I am here to do what God has called me to do. And we have to have that declaration in our lives. That when he has called you. Because here's what Nehemiah knows. He knows he doesn't answer to his critics. He knows he answers to God. And so instead of engaging on this lower level, once again, we see Nehemiah pray. And here's what he prays. I told you all throughout the book, we see him go to God in prayer. Watch this prayer. He prays. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Again, he runs to God in prayer. In other words, we got haters coming from everywhere, God. We got haters all day long, Lord. They have come out to despise us. Now watch what he prays. And this is not, by the way, an example of a good prayer. I just want to put that out there, all right? A little disclaimer for you. This is not an example. This is not what Jesus taught us to pray. Just want you to know that. But we are doing a character study of Nehemiah. And so we are going to read the prayers that Nehemiah prayed. So just wanted to out this. But watch what he prays. He says, turn their insults back on their own heads, oh God. I have prayed like this, all right? Again, this is not... This is not a good prayer. This is not a prayer to model your life after. Nehemiah needs some maturing here. I need some maturing in my own life. But this is what he's praying. It's not been written yet to turn the other cheek. So right now, sick him, God. Come on, right? Like, get him, get him, God. Give him over as plunder in a land of captivity. Don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. Lord, send him to hell where the worm never dies and there is gnashing of teeth. For they have thrown, back to that, they have thrown insults into the faces of the builders. They have thrown insults into the people who are doing what you have called them to do, O oh God. They are throwing insults of the people doing your work. And then in verse 6, he says, so we rebuilt the walls till all of it reached half its height. And why were they able to get this accomplished? For the people worked with all of their heart. What did Nehemiah do in the face of opposition? Watch what he did. He prayed to God and he got back to work. He went before the Lord in prayer again. And you see this all throughout the book. His words, he chose them. Maybe he chose them wrong, but he went before God in prayer. And then he got back to work. He sought the heart of God and then he went back to work. And the wall continued to go up because the people worked with all of their heart. There wasn't room for the critics. There weren't room for the haters. They were doing the work of God. They weren't lowering themselves down to fight about petty things like the color of the carpet or the flavor of the coffee. Come on, somebody. That's funnier to me than it is to you. All right. Then they had a higher calling. They had a calling to do the will of God. And so they didn't let criticism get into their hearts. They didn't let it tear them down because they had something to do for the kingdom. They went to God in prayer and they got back to work. What I love about Nehemiah, and you'll notice this, Nehemiah is practical and he's spiritual. And I've met a lot of people who are too much of one and not enough of the other. We need to be both, everybody. We need to be spiritual and we need, we need you, God. You guide our steps and we're going to show up and work. We seek your face, Lord. We need direction and we're going to roll up our sleeves and do what you've called us to do. We need your power in our life. Nothing happens without you, but we're going to break out our shovels and do the work you've called us to do. We need both in our lives. And I think too often a lot of people are one or the other. That Nehemiah says we need your grace and yet we're willing to do what you called us to do. We go to God in prayer and then we show up to work. Verse 10, what do we see? Meanwhile, in the middle of all this criticism... So the wall's halfway. It says now the people of Judah. So suddenly something shifts here. 
They said the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Remember, they're halfway. They've seen some progress. And now this opposition, but they've still shut it out. Their heart was in it. But now watch, they're starting. Nehemiah's people are starting to say so much rubble. Last week we saw progress. This week we see discouragement. Discouragement that comes. In verse 11 it says, Also our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them. And we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Our enemies are going to kill us. Our enemies are going to stop the work of God. You start to see these little cracks form. And as Nehemiah's people, these are his people, the people of Judah. They're saying, we, we don't even know if we're going to do this. Wherever we turn, they'll attack. The ones who lead told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they'll attack us. What do we see? We see Nehemiah's friends. They start doubting not just what other people are going to do to them. They start doubting whether or not they are able to do the work themselves. Whether or not the thing is even going to get the job done. And I don't know about you, but every type of opposition, spiritual opposition, external opposition, opposition from people far, opposition from people who are close to me. I don't know about you, but any, any opposition, there is none that is as difficult as the one that comes from inside. The internal opposition. That little voice that lives inside your mind that says you aren't good enough and you can't overcome this thing. And who do you think you are that you'll ever be able to do that? Because as damaging as it is, the external opposition that comes, when it works itself inside and it's your own, that voice that just tries to say, you are more insecure than you think you are and you are more instability than you think you are and you can't do this thing. When that voice tries to rise up, it is ten times louder than any external critic that tries to speak into your life. And we have those insecurities. And again, I don't know who it might speak to, but somebody has been listening to your internal insecurities more than you have about what God has to say about you. And you've let that voice get louder and louder till the word of God is drowned out. And even when you have your devotion and you're studying his word, you're letting that voice speak louder than his word. But you're letting the insecurity speak louder than who God says you are. And if I can just be, we just be a little gut level honest with each other today. We just be kind of honest. That's the most difficult battle that I face is this voice in my head that says, well, you're not good enough to do that. Or you'll never measure up to that. Or you'll never be able, you're too insecure in this area. And who do you think you are to be able to do that? And you can't minister to that person because you've already got this, this, and this. And you'll never reach out to do. And honestly, it's the voice that haunts my soul that says, you'll never be able to do it. You're never going to measure up. So why even step out? And it's the insecurities that try to take us down that we have let Grow louder and louder. And here's what I have learned about my insecurities and my shortcomings. And I just pray it helps somebody. But that is my weaknesses never outweigh the purpose of God in my life. My weaknesses never derail his purpose. In fact, Paul said, in my weaknesses, his power is made perfect. God excels in using broken and weak people. Not that we would ever get any of the glory. Because listen to me, we never, ever, ever deserve it. But that he would use us to build his kingdom. That he can use imperfect people. My weaknesses do not frustrate the purpose and the plan of God in my life. But that he can use me in the midst of it. So what do we do? We keep our eyes focused. We keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's why we don't look to the left and we don't look to the right. It's why we keep our eyes fixed on what's above because he has called us and he is with us. We keep our eyes fixed. It's what Nehemiah does. Watch in verse 14. As Nehemiah hears the people, they're discouraged. They're giving up. He hears them begin. The cracks begin to form. When they don't think it can be done. It says, Nehemiah says, I looked things over. I stood up. 
And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of Sambalat and Tobiah. Don't be afraid of those who live in the outer countries coming in and attacking. Don't be afraid of our enemies. Don't be afraid of the evil voices. Don't be afraid of what they say. Why? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He puts the focus off of himself and he puts the focus back on God. What does Nehemiah do? He says, remember the God who called us. Remember the God who is with us. Remember the God who gave us this great work that we are doing. Remember the Lord. And he takes the focus off of his broken, weak self and he puts it back on God. He's saying, this isn't our battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. This isn't our fight. Our God is with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. My focus is not what they say. My focus is on the hand of God. Remember the Lord who is with us. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And Nehemiah, I can just imagine him giving that That sermon, if you will, at that moment where he's saying, remember, I remember months and months and months that I prayed and God gave me favor with the king. I remember when it broke my heart and I went before him and God gave me favor to get protection and provision. I remember when God's hand was on me. I remember when I traveled and God brought me safely a thousand miles to be. I remember what God has done. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord that provided everything. Remember, and this is just stealing a play from the playbook of the Israelites, by the way. Nehemiah is just doing what his people have been doing for so many thousands. This is Nehemiah saying, remember the Lord. Because this is what they were instructed to do. Remember the Lord who brought us out of Egypt. Who brought us out of bondage and slavery into the promised land. Remember the Lord who opened the Red Sea. Who opened the sea so we could walk across on dry land. Remember the Lord that when the enemy tried to pursue us, brought the water back over and wiped them completely out. Remember our God. And in the moments of the weakness and in the moments where they feel forgotten, in the moments where they feel so down, and they would remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who led us by fire at night. Remember the Lord who fed us manna from heaven. Remember our God. Remember the goodness to you. Remember the faithfulness of God. Some of you in your own life. When you come to these moments of discouragement, when you step out to do something for God, when the critics rise up and they try to tear down whatever it is that you're doing, some of you have to remember the faithfulness of our God. Remember who you were before you came to Christ. Remember the guilt and the shame and the deceit and the lies and the discouragement before Jesus made you new. Remember who you were before Christ saved you. We remember the faithfulness of God. Remember who you were before he set you free. What do I do in my own life when I'm feeling discouraged? Honestly, when it's maybe Saturday night really late and I'm trying to prep for a Sunday and I got to go out and preach and I got to be happy for all you people and I got to feel, I got to feel like it's something that's, I got to feel, and my faith honestly might not be all that low. What do I do? I remember what God has called us to as a church. Because listen to me, you can feel all tingly inside sometimes, but there are moments and seasons in your life, there are no tingles, everybody. You understand this. And in those moments, there may be mountaintops and we praise God for them, but there are valleys and they are frequent. But we remember what God has called us to as a church. And I remember, I I strengthened myself. What has God brought us through? I remember, and I was thinking last night, six and a half years ago, when this whole campus was four feet of water in a flood. And everywhere you looked, it was just like a river of water. I walked in this space where we are sitting right now. I walked down this aisle and I was just up to my waist in water thinking there is no way we are coming. What is the weather like in Tennessee? Oh, God, I am headed. I am headed north. I probably told a hundred of you. That's where I'm headed. You can follow me if you want. And I remember that moment. 
And a group of us and so many groups, we came here to the church and we tried to do a bunch of stuff. But honestly, there weren't a whole lot of us thought we were coming through this thing. But I remember what God brought us through. I remember what God brought us through. Yeah, we can give God praise. But listen to me. It's not. And this is not. I just remember the faithfulness of God because now we got nice chairs and we got new carpet. Forget all of that, everybody. Forget all of that. I remember that in the years since God has called us to sow into countless ministries around the world. That in these last six years, we have been called to sow and to be a part of so many church plants and orphanages and child feeding. programs. Last year, one Sunday alone, you guys gave over $30,000 to pour into missions and ministries outside around this world. That we have been called to do that. I remember the faithfulness of God. In those moments, what do you do? You remember the faithfulness of God. You call to mind what God has brought us through, what God has called us to. And so when I say God can, it's because I've seen him do it. And so when we say, I know our God is with us, it's because we have seen him with us. We know that he steps with us. We know that he never leaves or forsakes us. It's our God who is with us, who fights for the victory. We remember the Lord, our God, because when it gets tough, and I promise you it will. You've got to think about something. And I promise you, God would rather you think about what he has done than what the people who hate and oppose his will. And our God is with us. Remember the Lord. And Nehemiah says this, verse 14, finish the verse. He says, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. And watch, remember the Lord our God who is great and awesome and fight for your families. He stands up in front of me. He says, remember what God has done. Remember how he is with us. And now fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Somebody needs, needs to hear this. Remember the Lord your God. Remember what he has brought you through. And now fight for what he has called you to do. Now fight for what matters. Now fight for the kingdom of God. Now fight for the marginalized and the ones he has called you to reach. Remember the Lord your God and now fight for the children who have no homes. Remember the Lord your God and now fight for those you are called to reach. Fight for those who have nothing. Fight for those who are marginalized. Fight for those who suffer injustice. Fight for those. Remember the Lord your God. Now show up and do what he has called you to do. Remember the Lord your God. Fight for children to find freedom in Christ. Fight for the prodigal that you think has run too far. Fight for them. Remember the Lord your God. Fight for the unborn who can't fight for themselves. Remember the Lord your God and continue to fight. Continue to fight. Keep on fighting for the victims that need healing and grace and hope and honestly honor and dignity that maybe they've never received. Fight for those who are far and need to receive Christ. Fight for those who are still lost in darkness. Remember the Lord your God. Now fight. When you want to do something that matters, there is always a battle. When you want to step out and do something, you will always face opposition. Remember the Lord and fight. What do you do when there's something in the world that doesn't sit right with you on behalf of God? When there's some injustice, what do you do when you see that and it breaks your heart? Week one, you stop and you let it break your heart. You bow down in prayer and you start to respond. And then what do you do? What do you do next? What do you what do you do with that? Week two, you pray about everything. You pray about everything. Listen to me, church. We do nothing without prayer. You pray about everything. You clarify the important things. You plan the next thing and you keep passion in your heart for the right things. And then when your enemy shows up and tries to slow you down, you remember the Lord your God and you fight to do what God has called you to do. You remember the faithfulness of God and you do what God has called you to fight for. You don't give up. You don't give up. Whatever the arena is, whatever the calling or the ministry is that you want to build or you want to start, if you need a degree to get into that arena, you show up day after day at class because you know what you've been called to. 
If you need to build something or you need whatever, you show up day after day faithful to learn and to grow because God has called you to it. When you put your hand to the thing, whatever it is, you don't turn back. When you follow Christ, when you follow him, when he's called you to do something in this world, you don't turn back when it gets hard. You keep building, you keep fighting one stone at a time, one brick at a time. One moment of faithfulness after another. Do you remember the Lord your God? And you fight for what he's called you to do. Bow your heads with me as we close in prayer today. Father, we pray you would stir our hearts. Move us, God, to do your will. To have faith in you, Lord, when we face opposition. And we know that we will, God, insecurities and pressure. When the voice tries to rise up inside of us to tell us we're not good enough, let us set our minds not on our own strength and our own self and our own failings. Whatever it is, let us fix our eyes on you. Lord, I pray. Inspire us, God, to do the work you have called us to do, to align ourselves with your kingdom. When the opposition comes, because we know there is an enemy that, Lord, we know there is an enemy that opposes your will. And we know that the world hates your teachings. But you have called us to make a difference. You have called us to reach the lost. You have called us to build the kingdom. And so I pray, Lord, inspire us. Give us the strength to step out. And Lord, let us remember our God. Let us not listen to the critics or the haters. Let us remember the word of our Lord. Let us remember that our God is with us, that our God is for us, that you never leave us or forsake us, that you love us, and that your power is made perfect in our weaknesses, that you have a will to accomplish and a plan on this earth. And so we pray, Lord, use us. Give us faith to step out. Dwell inside of us, Lord. We thank you. But the power in us is greater than the power that's in the world. And I pray, Lord, for spiritual breakthrough. I pray, Lord, for miracles. I pray for healing, God. I pray for faith that whenever the enemy opposes, God, you would give us the strength to stand strong. To fight for what you have called us to do. Church, keep praying today. So we have every head bowed, every eye closed. Because honestly, we're going through this series, this character study of Nehemiah. And I'm praying it would encourage us to step out. I'm praying that there would things be birthed out of this and just started ministries and callings, that you would do something for the kingdom of God. In whatever area or circle you are called to reach, wherever that may look, wherever it is on this earth, but he has called you to do something. And I'm praying that you would take that step. But I also recognize in these services and sermons and in this idea, there are some of you That if we sat down and we just had a personal conversation, you and me. That there are some of you, we had that that conversation. At some point, you would realize and you would say, hey, I recognize that I'm not even following Jesus. And you might be what I might call an almost follower. That you look like it. That honestly, maybe a lot of people in your life think that you are a follower. Maybe you have a lot of things that you've done, A, B, C, or one, two. You have all these things that you've, you've put into place. And you say, well, I, I know that it looks like that. But if I'm honest with myself, I know that I'm not actually following Jesus. Listen to me, that is your next step today. If you say, that's me, and I I don't know how I got to the place, and I don't know how it happened, and, and maybe I don't know even why I'm in the service today or why I'm watching online, but I know that I am not actually following him right now. That's your moment. 
Because listen to me, it is never too late to be who God has called you to be. God still has purpose and a calling for your life. He still has a plan for you, but it starts with surrendering your life and following him. Nothing we do is on our own power. Nothing we do is because of how great we are. Listen, it starts with surrendering your life to him. But I want you to hear something. One, it is never too late. And two, this morning, God still wants you. And so if that's you, you say, hey, I know what it looks like on the outside, but I know inside I'm not following him. Or maybe you say, hey, I've never made that decision. It's all kind of new to me, but I understand that I want to follow Jesus. Whichever where you are today, I want you to understand God still wants you. God still loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And this moment is for you. It's not an accident that you're at this moment. It's not an accident that you have this chance. You have this chance. And if I could beg you, don't let the moment pass. Don't say, well, that's something I'll just kind of write down and I'll I'll revisit it later. Don't let the moment pass. You have a chance right now. You have a chance right now to say, I surrender my life. I'm turning from my sin. I'm forgetting my past. I'm letting the past be the past and I'm following him from this moment forward. You have a chance right now. And here's what we've committed to as a church. This is more important to us than anything else that we do. That every single person who says, I want to follow Christ, would have a chance to do it. That we wouldn't cloud the gospel. That we wouldn't hide Jesus. You say, well, who does Jesus to me? What does he mean to me? Jesus is the son of God. That while we were lost in our sins, while we were lost in darkness, that he left his throne and he came to earth, not just to come Not just to preach and to teach, but to live among us and to die in our place on the cross. The final sacrifice for sin. To overcome hell, death, sin, and the grave. That he shed his blood. But the Bible says he didn't stay dead. That the Father raised Jesus to life three days later. Because that anyone, including you, including me, including that anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. And so when I say to pray a prayer, I'm saying you can call on the name of Jesus to wipe the slate clean, to make you brand new and to say, I repent of my sins and I'm following him. That's the chance you have to follow Jesus. So right now we're going to pray this prayer. If you want to pray it, if you want to make that decision, everybody in this church, we're going to pray it. If you're watching online, you're listening later at whatever date it is, whatever time you have this moment. Wherever you are, wherever you've been, I don't care what it looks like in your past. All I care is that God loves you and he still wants you. And there is still forgiveness for you. So right now, let's pray this prayer. You say, that's me. And church, nobody prays alone. Let's pray this with them. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I repent of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again and I make you Lord of my life in Jesus name. And all God's children said, amen and amen. Come on. Can we give God praise for what he's done today? Listen to me. If you made that decision today, if you made a decision to follow Christ, tell somebody, tell your small group leader, tell a pastor of the church, tell a friend or a family this week, tell somebody I have decided to follow Jesus. 
I have decided to follow him and my life will never be the same. Amen, everybody. Guys, be blessed as you go. You're dismissed today. If you're interested in the Cuba mission trip happening this summer, come on up to the front right after service. The rest of you be blessed as you go. We'll see you next Sunday.